Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, a roundtable discussion that's a mix of friendship, humor, unbridled enthusiasm, and tabletop RPG topics sent in from around the world. Just for another Hello, everyone. As you can see, we are completely prepared and ready to roll tonight. Thank you for joining us at Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. Season 33, episode four. I'm Nick. I'm Jason. And I'm Rose. Excellent. So, Kimmy may or may not be joining us tonight. Uh, We will see what happens in the fullness of time. But in today's episode, these three hosts are going to recap their most memorable game or game systems of 2023. Spillmeister Thomas from Denmark is going to share how they successfully made an RPG program. And Vert from DC asks how ridiculous of an idea we will allow in a game. <laughs> yeah. Bone <shot. laughs> If you'd like to contribute a question or story to the show, please email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. There's no dot in the earlier parts. Please remind, remember everyone, we have game days coming up on Saturday, January 13th. You sign up, that will be wonderful. We love to have uh, participation with all players, both those of us who are here behind the camera and those of us who are out there listening slash watching us. Our next episode will be recorded on Friday since Sunday is New Year's Eve. So you will see us again here in one week if you're watching today. I'd also like to go ahead and shout out our Indie Designer of the Month, which is Kurt Potts. You can find him at kurtpotts.itch.io and at Kurt Potts on the Twitter, I assume. Mm, I think Twitter, so. Instagram, something. Yeah, something, I think something that uses the at sign. Twitter we'll, slash we'll be able X, to find him there. whatever. And do, 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 it looks like this week we are covering a game that's called What's So Cool About the Uplift? And the Uplift is all capitalized. It is a hack of Jared Sinclair's What's So Cool About Space? And the Uplift is a tabletop RPG about cybernetically uplifted animal heroes saving the galaxy with superpowers. Think Guardians of the Galaxy, but you're all playing Rocket. Awesome. I'm all right with that. Yeah. It's a non-depressing version of Wii 3. (laughs) (laughs) You awaken to find you are both less and more. You are both old and new. Though through your adventures, you may get the chance to learn why this was done to you, but then it may not matter anymore. You're a hero and the galaxy needs saving. Yeah. It's an 11-page PDF designed to look great on a phone, which is actually really nice for travel. Mm -hmm. Any of you who are traveling this holiday, if you happen to be listening to us right now, Check it out. Maybe it'll be a fun thing to play with the kids in the car or something of that nature, or for your friends in the car. That's a game for three to six players, including a GM. It is fun and simple rules, and it is $2.99 at kurtpots.itch.io. So go ahead and check it out. If I had known about this ahead of time, I would have checked it out myself and been able to say something about it. I don't have any personal experience. Either of you? Not yet. I have not yet. That sounds, that's a great deal. Okay. I'm interested. Uh, yeah, I'm actually, I'm going to, I will pick this up just because I will be seeing my family not super soon, but my two nephews are both RPG players. We've, my sister has raised them right, so yeah. this, <laughs> this might be right up their alley. Good work. All right. So we don't have exactly a male, we only have two males this episode, but that is by design. Because two the, males in a rose. Right. <laughs> 
Perfect. No notes. <laughs> Two emails. Oh, oh. <laughs> electronic mail. Yeah. Okay, I gotcha. I gotcha. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jason knows all about being electronic mail. Yeah. Uh, for further information, check out uh, Insert Coin. Yes, that was fun. <laughs> but instead, we're going to take a moment for all of us to talk about the games we've played this year and our favorites and why we liked them and uh, where we are. So I'm going to invoke the producer's prerogative and not go first. Not it. Oh, gosh. Okay, that's me. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Latency, for making me lose at Nose Goes. Yeah, I, l- let me pull up who the actual author of this is real quick. I'm desperately racking my brain to remember all the things that just flew out of my mind the moment I was asked to speak about them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so the game I'm going to talk about is called Hilton Blade. Also stylistically done as hilt slash slash blade. Oh, um, not like a blade that you would get at the Hilton. No, not Hilton blade. Although, hold on, hold on. Alternatively, it's an action film starring Paris Hilton wielding a katana. You know what? I would watch it. I'm in. Yeah. Honestly, like she was good enough in Repo the Genetic Opera. I would watch it. Yeah. I would watch it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so Hilton Blade is a no dice, no masters role playing game, which is the mechanical half of, oh gosh, Belonging Outside Belonging, which was, oh God, what game is that? Oh, what is it? It's it's a post apocalyptic game. It's really cool, GM list, dice list. I will think of it when it's no longer relevant to the conversation, as this always happens. Basically, it is what if you took belonging outside belonging mechanics, which is the no dice, no masters side of things, and applied that to Neon Genesis Evangelion. Oh, okay. That's Uh, wild. Yep. Which, for anyone who has followed along on the Discord, I had a a real journey with Neon Genesis Evangelion earlier this year. I accidentally came up with the plot for Neon Genesis Evangelion while playing a different game before I had watched the show. And my friend was like, oh, so you're a huge Evangelion fan, right? I was like, a what? I'm sorry, a a what? I don't know what those words mean. Great. (laughs) Yeah. So I went on, I think I ended up with somewhere around 30 mecha RPGs to try and like find the right feel for Evangelion because I liked Evangelion, but I had a lot of problems with Evangelion and I wanted to like make a game that kind of let me address those issues I had. And I looked through a bunch of different things, never really found anything. I went, well, Hilton Blade's a little bit too on the nose. It is basically just the plot of Evangelion. But it works really good. It, the No Dice, No Masters system, it also has a PBTA version. So if you want a version with a GM, you can flip it around and do it that way. I have yet to test it out yet. Lloyd, the GM for Heaven on High, has spoken very, very highly of it. So I am also tempted to try that out. But it is a fantastic system. The combination of like weak and strong moves where you can basically put your character into difficult situations or have them experience hardship so you can get tokens, which you can then spend to do cool action-y things or like have strong character moments later in the story is a really cool balance. 
I had a fantastic time playing it with with Captain Kurt, with Steffi and Verk back for Vercon earlier this year. It was fantastic. I got to play a uh, genetically engineered super soldier named Sarah, who knew how to, everything about piloting a mech and nothing about being a person. <laughs> and she, for anyone who's seen Evangelion, she looked normal until she moved, at which point she moved like Eva 1 when it went feral, which was just a delight to play. I love playing my terrifying monster pilot. I hope to get back to that system someday. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not familiar with the system. It, it works like just storytelling and you can... Does it just work like you put yourself in bad situations so you can get tokens to do cool stuff later or... Yeah, yeah. So certain... It is when you do this with your character, gain a token, and to do this with your character, spend a token. So, like, to successfully attack, like, the imminent threat, which is, like, the angels from Evangelion or your kaiju or whatever that is, it's kind of up for whatever you want to do with it. To successfully attack it, you need to spend tokens. And to make sure you have tokens, you have to have things where your character, like, is emotionally vulnerable or gives in to poor impulses or gets hurt in the the battle or things like that. It's a really interesting, really intricate game design. It's something that I honestly, it reminds me when I played Masks for the first time where I was Mm. like, this is a completely different style of game design than I had been exposed to because I'd never really played a PBTA game before Masks. And this kind of like, oh, wow, I can do completely different things. The stakes are different. The types of stories I can tell are different than like anything to do with like a a D20. It's really, really neat. And I am trying to find who on earth that original game was. Let me, if somebody else can vamp for me, I will find (laughs) <laughs> where the belonging outside belonging uh, system. What, one thing started. I want to add but while she's looking for that, it may not be obvious. Rose is with us by remote and is here virtually. And mm-hmm. that means in reality, there's no physical body to my right. And so sometimes I end up doing this and it may make it seem <laughs> like Rose and I are somewhat closer than we are. Also, I'm about <laughs> twice your size, which is fantastic. As <laughs> A remarkably tall woman. I'm very happy with just being shrunk <laughs> down and, and via I Zoom. Genuinely like the idea of being a giant. I wish I was <laughs> as tall as Nick. I'm not. So I will just be a big guy not invading your space. <laughs> Jason, you have my consent to invade my space. Okay. Okay. It's allowed. Very good. Very good. You know, you um, know what I do like about it though is that it's very and I know this is dear to your heart, but it's like, seems very Shadowrun to me. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We've got real people. We've got virtual people. Yeah, that our, our virtual, virtual selves are just merging. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. I have come up with a couple of things to talk about, but I am genuinely, all I could think of is like, I know I play a game on Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> to bring it back around, the belonging outside belonging system is made by Avery Alder. From Buried Without Ceremony. Yeah. And they, yeah, have made a bunch of really, really cool games. Belonging Outside Belonging is specifically for marginalized communities, LGBTQ, racial minorities, things like that. The flip side of 
dream. So they made Dream Askew, which is about a post-apocalyptic queer commune. And then it is published as a part of a two-system book, the other which is Dream Apart, which is about Jewish fantasy of the shtetl. So it is a kind of supernatural goings-on in a in a Jewish community. It's really, really cool. To add more complexity to, okay, so these two games are belonging outside belonging. The pure mechanical aspect of these games is just called No Dice, No Masters, which is what Hilt and Blade is. Because you are playing mech pilots rather than a marginalized community, it is just going off of the mechanical aspects of it and doesn't really tackle the things of identity and kind of place in society that the other games do. All three of those games are fantastic. I highly recommend, like, if you want to just study a fascinating style of game design and a essentially a thesis on what role-playing games are about and kind of how to share space with people and how to, like, treat people at the gaming table, I cannot recommend Dream Askew, Dream Apart enough. It is... I read that and I was like, oh, this is kind of like the, this is reading the stuff that was already in my head about like how to be respectful of other people, how to, how to kind of make space and how to treat each other well at the gaming table, just already written out for me in, in book form. It's really, really beautiful. I have a brief thing I want to mention at a, the, at Big Bad Con. One, it was just fun to get to see everybody. I actually didn't get to play that many games. I play. I always went to, I went to a lot of games on demand and played whatever random thing was there, and I didn't take good notes, so uh-huh. that means I don't remember. But <laughs> I did get to play. So Alex, who played in the short uh, demigods thing we ran earlier in the year, and has done a few things here and there, more stuff over on. Total Party Kiss, a great channel to follow, uh, ran a one-shot of Morkborg, which I had always mm-hmm. wanted to try out. And I know plenty of people have experience with it, but it was my first experience with it, and it was memorable in <laughs> how like dark and gritty it was. I had trouble interfacing with it by myself because, and I know that I've, I have since found the text version of the book, but the book is a work of art such that I can't read it cover to cover like it's it's very abstract and my dyslexia just screams right of like <laughs> run away but the designers have put out a text so like they know that that's an issue right like, oh, okay. it's very I, I didn't know that i mean i've, yeah, I've yeah. seen the book and it is gorgeous but it's also like yeah the scribblings of a <clears throat> of a yeah. wild person if you buy the digital yeah. copy it comes with the screen reader or like text friendly version which is very thoughtful and they also have a character creator online that is just like randomly throw stuff together. And it's quick. It is gritty. It wasn't as deadly as I thought it was going to be. But also oh. Alex was like r- running a one shot for us. So like maybe it would have been over time. I think it might fall into some of the, I think some of the fair criticisms, particularly of earlier Powered by the Apocalypse games is that I don't know that it would stand up to campaign level play. Like more than six, maybe 
six sessions, I think it would run out of vibe. Right. It's heavy on vibe. And I think it would start to run out of juice a little bit. My understanding of Morkborg is that it's in kind of a similar play style to things like Trophy, where it is you're going to have short, eventful, miserable campaigns. Miserable for the characters, extremely fun for the players. And yeah, it's just like, okay, your characters are not going to last long. They're going to die either gloriously or hideously, maybe both. And then we'll do something else. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about Trophy, but I, it one thing that I really like about Morkborg is that you can go from zero to playing in about 10 minutes yeah. after you just roll some dice and, and you run with that. Yeah. And yeah. there's no hard, necessarily even hard and fast rules about what a specific thing means. So it's got like these very thematic names for your powers that you roll up randomly and yeah you know it's just sort of like a consensus okay (laughs) i'm gonna use my crown of teeth on him what does that mean i don't know let's figure it out yeah yep (laughs) i love evocative but mysterious just 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 descriptions in games it's so much fun yeah i think it's funny that you said like it wasn't you didn't find it to be deadly because my experience with it was I rolled up a character. He he had one hit point. Uh, <laughs> uh, I he, did have four hit points. Okay. Oh, I yeah. see. Oh, look who's yeah. living Just, large. Yeah. <laughs> but I died in the first combat to a goblin. I think maybe even the first roll. But what happened was in that random generation, I had rolled up that I had a pet monkey. And so I just started playing the monkey instead. Yeah. <laughs> so I just played How the monkey. How many points did the monkey have? Like six. Yeah. That sounds about right. <laughs> And the monkey, the monkey wore the owner's skull as a helmet. Yeah, <laughs> because it's Mortenborg, and why not? Um, so, Steve the monkey actually survived to a second campaign, to a second session, because I was like, "Hey, higher can- intelligence score." <laughs> At this point, I don't remember, but it, but it was super fun. It was super fun to be like, "Okay, I guess I'm the monkey now." <laughs> yeah, that's great. I, I'm so annoyed because I also know I've been to three strategic cons this year and I don't remember what I know I did play some D&D right but that was more memorable in that I went to the Adventurers League and was not horrified right I remember yeah. like that's that's what I remember is your that, experience was like I had a good time yeah but that's like a testament to the people who run it at strategic con I think so I who knows your mileage may vary but the the other thing I wanted to bring up that I was excited because I saw a bunch of people commenting on it recently is the number of systems like mainstream systems that are doing away with the to hit mechanic, right? So in D&D, you roll to hit and then you roll to see how much damage you do. And frequently, as we all know, you can have a turn where nothing happens. You miss, Mm -hmm. oh, I missed all three attacks. Next. Oh, I do. Oh, everybody saved versus my spell. Okay. Next. Nothing happened on my turn. Whoop-de-doo. Boring as fuck. And it's where Apocalypse World spawned the thought of having the not entirely binary system. Even on a two to six, you expect something to happen. Right, something will happen. And and you might even achieve your goal, God forbid, (laughs) (laughs) on a two to six. But something, the story moves forward no matter what. And... I know a number of games have been doing that, but now a bunch of the stuff that um, Spencer Stark is working on, he's like working with the Critical Role people and like a bunch of people who are putting out new games. And 
these games are embracing mechanics. Now, so far, I know that they are crediting some of the other games that have done this before, but if they're bringing to the masses the idea of getting rid of the two-hit roll, I'm happy about it. And Mm -hmm. when people experience it, we'll have the opportunity to tell them the many games that came before. But I just think, I'd love to hear everyone's thought on it because the thing I like about it is, and I've always thought in D&D, like, I would rather just have everybody roll damage and give the bad guy like 20% more HP at the start of the fight and have the, the question be, how much damage did you do? Were you able to apply your condition or not, right? Were you trying to apply poison, right? Whatever it is, if it's a, a combat system that's like that, or if you're trying to convince the person, how well did you convince them, right? Or if, if you're making an argument in favor of having the guard let you through, is this dangerous to them? Is it hazardous? You know, like, why might they let you through? Versus, like, just this arbitrary role of, uh, nope, you whiffed it. Or even the other one that bugs me is like, okay, everybody roll perception. And then, uh, yeah. and then what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I find that because D&D is such a it depends who's running it kind of system. Yeah. And it depends what that person calls for rules for. And depending on what kind of play culture your table has and what previous play cultures your players have had, your players might want to roll perception all the time to like look for stuff when like a more experienced GM might have just given them that information. Right. Like, oh, I want to roll <clears throat> perception to look for this when it's like, your character, there's no, there's no time limit. There's no tension going on right now. Your character could find this thing in a room. Right. And the story but will be, grind to a halt if they if don't. They don't. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, and that's the thing of what ended up kind of killing my enjoyment of D&D is outcomes that aren't interesting. Yeah. The, too many times, the outcome of a die roll is not interesting, whether right. that be you fail to hit you fail to find a thing, you fail a skill check. Each time it is, unless it's just going to be, okay, that doesn't happen and we move on to the next person. Like, if you want to make it more interesting than that, the onus is on the GM every time to come up with an interesting complication or to come up with, like, kind of from whole cloth, a way to make failed die rolls matter in some way and that i find is a amount of mental overhead that i don't like i've Um, played in a lot of groups that will kind of offload that on on the players which is good because i like hearing what like if i'm a gm and i ask a player okay that didn't work what happens they're almost always going to do something worse than i would have thought of which is great it's a lot more fun and a lot more interesting but it is, I mean, I certainly agree with you where it's just like the result of a bad roll is, oh, I took some hit point damage. Right. But that doesn't tell me anything interesting about what happened. Like, am I going to be limping through the rest of the game because I twisted my ankle? No, I just lost this number and I can get this number back by rolling this other die some other point. Just in that vein, I really like the idea. And this this was new to me because I have often run into that, oh, Everyone failed the perception check. What are we going to do? Gumshoe. Gumshoe says that you will find the clue. Mm. You will find whatever it is there is, and then you might get something extra if you take certain actions. But you're always going to go like, oh, 
I found the matchbook for the strip club. Right. So I know where my next clue is. But you might find out, oh, it smells like a specific perfume. So now you might know, oh, maybe it belongs to the person who is using that perfume. Okay. I think the the invention of like Zippo lighters was such a blow to private investigators <laughs> across the world. Um, just like, I think Zippo might be in with just like not organized crime, but like crime <laughs> as a concept. I, I took, I required an, a significant amount of mental energy to untangle. You said the right thing, but my brain heard strip book to the match club. Yeah. And <laughs> I was like, that's not it. I, Please. I saw them in 95 at Lollapalooza. They yeah. were great. Please reverse and fix. <laughs> like what? Uh, just <laughs> screeching halt and the record scratch in my brain. I think the chat is also mentioning initiative cycles, which that is, it's this eponymous problem, right? That That is in almost every game. I even think Apocalypse Worlds, a take on it is inelegant where it's like, oh, just just keep the spotlight moving. Like, okay. And don't let anyone hog the spotlight. Okay. Can I but, have a tool on how to do that? Right. Maybe? right. Like, th- be good at it. Like, oh, <laughs> okay, cool. Like, a little guidance there would have been okay. And I'm sure maybe I've missed something that Vince wrote or whatever, but most of the Apocalypse World games since then are, including mine, <laughs> are fairly nebulous about when you should switch up whose turn it is. And one of the things I really liked about Wild Talents, so getting back into that this year, was the way that very quickly everybody says what they're going to do. Because just the short version, right? Of like, what do you want to do? No elaboration, just like, or do you have a quick clarification? Okay, we're deciding on what dice to roll. Then everybody rolls their dice at the same time. And everybody then determines, okay, the width of the roll goes first and the height of the roll is something separate. And I really admire that about the way that dice engine works. And I think a memorable component of this year for me has been getting back into wild palettes and what warts and all it's, I'm not going to call it a perfect system because it's far from it, but it's reminded me it's, it's like reinvigorated the game designer brain which is just in time because my book's about to ship out and I can finally start working on other things. <laughs> so I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. Listening to Pentacles has been really fun because I, I shamefully haven't listened to any of the other Wild Talents APs yet. And getting to kind of hear what that system has been like, I think the level of complexity is a bit more than like I as a GM uh, really want to deal with. But like it is that using the dice to determine the the order that things play out in is an incredibly elaborate but also incredibly elegant system it's just really really clever whereas like so i the main system i've run other than dnd is masks and like initiative in masks is is spotlight like there isn't a set initiative system you just kind of go by feel for like when something else should be happening i usually like i I don't know if this was a good thing, but because I was new to it, I had kind of a everybody acts once before another person gets to act again, just because that also helped balance out like my people who knew the system really well and always kind of knew what they wanted to do versus like other people who are newer to the system. Or I had a player who was just very quiet and I the way I would get him to engage with the mechanics is I would go, hey, what are you doing? (laughs) 
And and then he would quite often come up with really cool things, but it was important that I made sure that I wasn't just letting everyone else kind of run wild and do all of that stuff. So yeah, kind of finding a good balance for initiative things. Coming back around, you were talking about Savage Worlds and their initiative system. I got into Warhammer back in 2016. Warhammer 40,000 specifically, not Age of Sigmar. And that is a war game where you can end up rolling conservatively 40 dice at a time. Mm -hmm. If you're playing orcs, get ready to roll 120. And so you have to then go through and see, okay, so which of these dice rolled high enough to hit? And then after you you deal with your hit, you deal with a to wound roll, and then your opponent rolls a save, and then you start taking models off the table. Oh, boy. that is assuming you don't have things that let you re-roll misses or things like that. So a real concern for the length of games is a thing called handling time, which is how long do I have to touch the dice and sort through dice to get to a conclusion? And I find that like initiative systems, inc- so I'm getting ready to, sorry, I'm very scatterbrained, but I'm getting ready to run a game called Stay Frosty, which I'm going to be using to run a all-clone trooper action tragedy one-shot for game days. Uh, I ended up doing two sessions of it because the first one filled up immediately. And Mm. honestly... Where where did I go to sign up for that? Yeah. Both sessions are full, but I'm probably going to end up running more of these because everyone wants to play it, and I found a Mm. system that is light enough. I'm pretty sure I I have access to the back end of that system. (laughs) Yep, yep. So, So yeah, Stay Frosty is a really neat like OSR-inspired, old-school Renaissance-inspired approach to movies like Aliens and Starship Troopers. Yeah, it sounded like it might be. (laughs) Yeah, 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 it's it's fun. There are a couple of things that are kind of like, kind of janky, not not quite what I'm looking for. But the big thing I realized I don't like about it is that you roll initiative every round. Mm. And I'm like, that... I think I you have each player roll initiative each round. Right. It's just a, if they succeed on their dex check. And I think what I might do is I might just roll. And if it's like higher than like, if it's higher than everybody's decks or like better than everybody's decks, bad guys go first and then good guys. I don't know. It's also a pretty deadly game. So I might just kill all of their clones at once. So yeah. we'll, we'll see. I might play test a little bit more. That's interesting. But that's, definitely like handling time and how much time we're spending doing things that aren't particularly narratively satisfying right or even mechanically satisfying because it's not like you don't roll a really good initiative roll and go oh yeah this is awesome yeah. like well, okay i'm gonna i'm gonna disagree with you a little bit here and it, uh, i'm uh, part, partly i'm showing my age have you ever felt good about a nat 20 on initiative in D? oh nat 20 does feel bad yeah, because it's like you wasted it's, the it's nat wasted 20, it. which isn't was, how probability right. works. No, no. <laughs> it's, it's how it works. It's how brains. fate works. Right. Yeah. Yes. Fate says Correct. that D20 was, that 20 was coming up, and that's mm-hmm. what it was going to roll no matter what you were rolling for, and that is real and true in science. Right. Well, but uh, so, so I'm going to say, like, I grew up many, many years ago playing D&D, AD&D, second edition, all the way through. I've played all the editions. But second edition is what I played the most in sort of my formative years. And we played, because it's that's what it has in the book, you roll initiative every single turn to see wow. who goes first. 
And on top of that, there were also rules about the type of weapon you were doing, which would either add or subtract to your initiative oh. as well. So like if you're swinging a battle axe, you're going to be slower than someone who's stabbing with a dagger. Right. Sort of thing. So I kind of love that that breakdown and granularity. Now, I haven't played any of those recently. I might hate it now. Yeah. I, I will fully admit that it's been a long, long time. I don't have that kind of, I probably don't have that kind of patience. There's uh, some the, real the, system nostalgia goggles. Yeah, um, I, absolutely. I still think of 4th edition fondly. I haven't run a 4th edition combat in probably 8 or 9 years. 4th edition had some things that were worth playing. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> plenty that we were happy to leave behind. And that's Correct. It was MMO the TTRPG. Yes. <laughs> it was an excellent tabletop tactics game yeah. with some role-playing game elements. Yeah. Right. So I'm I'm actually gonna I'm gonna interrupt here for a moment and see if because I feel like we've gotten a little far afield. Oh right, we've we've heard <laughs> Rose's favorite game. Yes, that they're looking forward to on there. How about you, Jason? Did, um, did you feel like your D and D story was was it? Or? Yeah, well, I think my my most memorable was probably the Morkborg situation and then the non specifically, but getting rid of the two hit. That whole conversation gotcha. in the last couple months has been really exciting to me. As a de- game designer, I just like following that whole process and thought. So that's probably my big thing for the year. Okay. So that leaves me. And to be honest, I haven't played a lot of real different games this year. I've also gone to a couple of Strategicons. One, I ran a game, which I guess went okay, but I felt a little bad that I didn't have very many people sign up, so I just had two guys show up. And it was fine, but I had I'd prepared this big thing, and I was really looking forward to... Was it Phil know. and Ed? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Love you guys. Yeah. And honestly, they're great. I had a good time, but I had just been hoping to have like my debut be have more people. Yeah. That's all. What um, game was it? It was the first version of the Savage Worlds Oz game. Oh right, and yeah. it had and it had elements that I was taking from that to use in the campaign later, which didn't work out for various reasons that are neither here nor there. But what I've actually been playing a lot of on the regular is Pathfinder Second Edition. Oh, okay. I've been playing a lot of that this year. Uh, I've been in a. We finished up one campaign. We started a new campaign. The thing that is really I find kind of interesting about this current campaign that I'm in is we're a street gang. And so there's all the uh, game master created these or sort of readjusted the elements from their kingmaker system where you can kind of influence other things in order to promote whoever you're going for, for the king, I assume, but to make it into like kind of a, we're trying to control neighborhoods in the city as well as going out and being adventurers. So there are certain things that we can do certain roles to be like, okay, I'm going to establish a warehouse in this area so that we have a base of operations for our continued criminal enterprise. You mean legitimate um, import? I mean, I'm business. sorry, yes, of course. Legitimate businessmen all over the place. So, so I've been really enjoying that. I have been enjoying the Pathfinder system a lot too. I'm not a super fanboy the way I feel like a lot of people are about, oh my God, it's the best thing I've ever played. And if you're playing D&D, you're a noob and whatever and all that sort of stuff. But there is a certain, evokes a certain emotion that, like, number goes up. <laughs> yeah. It's right. kind of neat to be like, yes, I'm third level and I'm rolling plus 10 on this die. Even though that doesn't matter at all because it's the exact same as if you were rolling 
plus three yeah. in another system, but it feels like, oh, I got this big number. <laughs> sure. It's the old, you are not immune to propaganda, but it's you're not immune to the Skinner box effect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly like that. Although I will say in, in what you're saying, we, we don't use a dynamic initiative like we were talking about before. We, we roll once and that's it. But it's the sort of game that I hope none of my player, none of my other friends who play in that game are listening right now. But I actually have a game of Civilization Six running in the background, so that after I do whoa, whoa, after whoa. I do my turn, I'll I'm listening and I'm yeah. paying attention, and I'll flip back over if someone says, "Oh, I go here," and something happens. Yeah. But for the most part, I'm playing an entirely separate game while I'm waiting for my turn to come back around. Yeah, that's, so. that's rough, and and that can be like I'm sure you manage that very well. But in a lot of cases, if it's your friends are like looking at Twitter or whatever else, like they're not plugged into what is happening in the combat. And yeah. then their turn takes longer because they have to catch up and be like, oh, you're over there. I thought you said you were over because they weren't really paying attention. I, kn- right. I know that you can multitask, but that I think about that a lot. Where, you yeah. know, when there is a long initiative order, that is just sort of an inherent problem. And like, I don't even know how to solve that. That's, right. that's wild to think about. Yeah. That's- yeah, I, I had a Pathfinder 1E game that I played Mark of the Ninja. In between my turns. You mean D&D 3.75? <laughs> Correct. Well, should we move on to an email? I, yeah, I think we should move on to an email. Okay. Who would like the first email? We, we might want to split this one. It is substantial. Oh, it, is. it is. Okay, it is quite big. Yeah. Um, oh, I just realized it and, is and two we and are, pages. I, I meant to say <laughs> it is. We are grateful to Thomas from Denmark for this email. Just heads up, but. Actually, we do like long emails. We yeah. love the content. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not being sarcastic, but it's awesome. But yeah, just so we know. Yeah. Um, well, why don't you get started and then I'll, I'll oh. hop in. And Rose, you have a copy of this? Yes, I do. Okay, okay, great. Dear Mistress Kimmy, the herder of cats and planner of plans. I can be one of those cats. I think we're all one of those cats. <laughs> yeah. Yep. When I, in a previous email, discussed running a teenage after-school game club, Kimmy, and I think Jason, probably, this sounds familiar to me, mentioned (laughs) that they would love to hear more about the why and how it works. So here goes. Besides the very personal fun I get from running TTRPGs for teenagers, my years of experiences have taught me that there are a whole slew of benefits for the young ones as well. First are having fun and camaraderie. It is a great hobby, and when teenagers are, uh, when, when teenagers have fun doing something, there are at least the hope that they do not get bored and then tempted by other, let us say, frowned upon activities. Yes, keeping them out of trouble. Absolutely. However, there are also many things which I, a professional educator, find that the youngsters learn and take with them. Feel free to discuss and comment each one along the way. Yeah, I imagine we will. There are several. So one, how to act in social groups. There is a higher than average representation among the teens I might see in the after-school gaming activities of young people that struggle with being part of social groups. Yeah. <laughs> <This>. Yo soy. <laughs> Some have anxiety. Others Check. are lonely and or uh, very shy. Check. More than a few have neurodivergences. Check. Check. Hey, yo. <laughs> and some are more or less intentionally geeky and weird, said in the most loving way. Double check. Yeah, most of the time. Uh, Hi, have we met? <laughs> Meeting other teenagers and having something to do together give these kids a safe space to get some social XP and a place to practice and evolve their own social skills. 
I, I, I've always been a proponent of this idea, yeah. uh, personally. So we're, we're, we're in the comment phase now. Um, yeah, absolutely. The idea that D&D nerds, the TTRBG nerds, are these ace antisocial goblins in the basement is propagated by people who didn't understand what we were doing. Right. It is an intensely social activity. And friendships have been born and burned <laughs> in these activities. And, and confirm. Yeah. And it is, it's intense sometimes. So I, I don't know. Any other thoughts on the uh, self-selection groups of this? Things that are common for the listed groups that enjoy, that are overrepresented in tabletop communities were a lot of people who spend a lot of time like daydreaming and thinking about creative things and coming up with worlds and characters and, and stuff like that. There's a reason why a thing that's powered by imagination would appeal to us. Yeah. Well, and like I always found that it's great to be able to take those daydreams and imagination and share them with someone else. Yeah. And God, kind of yes. create create a, a, a greater world because you get other input. You get people who aren't your thoughts contributing as well. Mm-hmm. Now that I think about it, is GMing just a very specialized form of info dumping? (laughs) (laughs) I don't see how it's not. Yeah, like, uh, here, not only am I going to talk to you about the thing that I'm super interested for a long time, but it's a thing that I made up. So (laughs) let me tell you about how my elves are different. Yeah, I think that's actually where we get into a lot of great conversations about making sure you understand the difference between GMing and writing a novel. Yes. You know, yep. and like yep. that, that is a delicate thing that a, a number of us who are neurodivergent have to make sure that we're balancing that. Honestly, um, I think there's plenty of people who are neurotypical who still are novel writers and yes. lose yes. sight of that. And absolutely. I can only speak from my point of view and something that I, I had to make sure early on that I wasn't just like, okay, here are your railroads. Just follow along these tracks and everything will be fine. Um, no, yeah, you can't kill the vizier. Not in this chapter. Yeah, follow yeah. the railroad and nobody gets hurt. Oh, the vizier's not actually dead. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the vizier's twin brother who knows all the same information. Yes. Yep. Oh, with a puff of smoke, he disappeared. <laughs> yeah, got him. Nobody, no crime. Should we move on to number two? Yeah, yeah. I think we got that covered. How to handle adversity. It is not because I deliberately set the players up to lose. Okay, that might also happen, but only with greatest deliberation and care. Yes, that's fair. That's my commentary. Sorry, I should, I should be more... <laughs> I'll do my commentary and the accent. It is... Oh, is that like italics? This is italics yeah. for Jason? Yes. <laughs> Just generic Euro trash. Sorry, putting my arm around Rose again. I, I'm not complaining. <laughs> This is how I sit at home. I just, I, I frequently just like <laughs> spread out because I have room. And uh, okay, it is more the fact that when playing games, board games, and TTRPGs, there is always an element of luck and or skill. Yeah, hopefully it's a combination of those things. Dice are not the most loyal of friends, <laughs> and do occasionally betray your dreams and plans. And in many games, there are both winners and losers. Being able to handle both loss and victory or just plain luck or the lack thereof is a great skill 
on many other of life's domains. For example, I currently have an older teenager in the after-school club that a few years ago was able to combine being both the worst winner and loser at the same time. We are talking about a kid who would be angry if he felt he didn't win big enough. Ooh, yeah. Nowadays, after some guidance, he is the most inclusive and kindest player and oh so great at teaching younger and newer players new games. Yeah, I mean, that's such a valuable lesson. There's a person I used to game with who was very much like that, that whether they were winning or losing, they were not fun to be with. Yeah. And it was rough. (laughs) And it's nice when I love hearing that someone overcame that and became like... Well, when it's a teenager, yeah, I hope they have some room to grow. I hope so, too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, as like... As a, as a former coach, like one of my favorite aspects of working with kids was teaching them how to people. And it's yep. just like, that is not how we treat other people. That's not acceptable behavior. Let's, right. let's work on that. I understand that you're upset, but you can't go and do that to other people. Right. Yeah. And I think probably what, what, what Thomas is doing here in to such success is teaching them that the, the point of the game right, is not to win, right? It's to tell a story together. And if we can tell a compelling story, we are all winning, right? And it's not, you don't even win when you do the most damage or kill the bad guy and you did half of the damage all by yourself, that you didn't win that fight. The fight's just over now, right? (laughs) You know? You win by having the best story. Yeah. And so... the, The thing that's remembered that you tell to your friends, that you tell the people on the street who are like, Oh, how was your day? Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a character whose name was my favorite character of all time. His name was, it was D&D character. His name was John Baldfoot. He was a human rager who was raised by halflings. Uh-huh. Hence, the, hence the name. And he had Baldfoot. no hair on his feet. Right, exactly. He was an orphan, raised by halflings. Yeah. You know, Baldfoot was what they called him. Yeah. I couldn't tell you a single thing that he did that was fantastic and amazing and did a bunch of damage or anything like that. But I can absolutely tell you how he died, which was just the most incredible thing that happened. And it delights me every time. Is it? Can you really? Oh, sure. Take a long I, time I mean, to it's tell? T- totally simple. He was eaten by a bullet. <laughs> a bullet? Yes. Okay. Yeah, a yeah. Boulet. Okay. A bullet. Uh, well, the, was, the two T's, right. I think the two yeah. T's gives you the hard T. But I was just thinking, like, a bullet from a gun? Ate him? <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, it was a Mario. We fell into Mario yeah, yeah. world. That's why we don't have build. firearms in D&D. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, but but see, like that that was one of those things where I don't remember how many orcs he killed. I don't remember yeah. how much damage he did, but I remember the great story of him falling out of a tree into the open mouth of this creature. That's great. And being like, well, that sucked. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Okay, I'll I'll read one more of these. Actually, learning skills from the more classic curriculum. I find that the kids that play TTRPGs learn a lot of skills that are directly transferable to their more ordinary school life. Basic math, thanks to all the nice math rocks that we use for in-games. Yes, thank you, Shadowrun First Edition, (laughs) that I did all by pencil and paper. Woof. Yeah. A bit of history, mostly for board games, with strong historical themes, but also a tiny bit from role-playing games. Reading, I mean, it is rare to find other groups of teens that happily read books about rules in strange settings. English, which is taught in Denmark from the earliest school years and is, and suddenly is something that teenagers actually have a very direct need for 
besides the somewhat low-level English American English slash American they meet on social media. Yeah, skill acquisition. And any thoughts on that? You learn stuff from games. It's fun. <laughs> I'm not sure which would be more like what the chicken and the egg is for myself personally, because as long as I can remember, I've loved to read. And that kind of just naturally, I feel, flowed into RPGs because, A, it was brand new books and brand new systems and brand new things to to learn about. And I would say that I have read more RPGs than I've played RPGs, for sure, different types of systems. But I don't know whether one contributed to the other or not. I mean, I certainly was reading before I was playing RPGs, but I don't know how much they reinforced each other. Yeah. But all of the things like doing bits of math, not being afraid to sketch something out or the old graph paper, you know, tracking your dungeons and hoping you got that right. Yeah. Rose, any thoughts on that? No, I, I, it's pretty awesome. I now am thinking about using role-playing games to learn a second language would be entertaining. I know Inspire Isles has their ASL. Oh, yeah, true. And that is very relevant. To me, I uh, have a lot of people in my life who either have hearing loss or are in the process of losing their hearing. So that would be super cool. I'm, yeah, just my brain is rattling with ideas at the moment. Yeah. I also wanted to mention, not exactly skill learning, or, and also chat is mentioning that like empathy and multi-step thing, you know, like all, all those sorts of things are, are interesting. But for me, also, it was the skill of being bisexual, like, <laughs> like being able to. So what like, you're saying is for the straight people in the audience, yeah. skill issue. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> get, get yeah it was a long time before I could identify that about myself. And there were, as the GM, I was the girlfriend NPC. I was the boyfriend NPC. I was like, you know, I had to play everything. Pretty soon, whenever I sat down to play a game, I always played a girl character and. To their credit, one of my the my best friends in the whole world, Sam Delev, sat me down after a game one time. It, the kindest, most gentle way, because they had come out as as non-binary and was something we had had some conversations about because I wanted to understand. And just in their observation of me, just said, have you ever had any thoughts about your gender? Right? Is that, do you think that could be part of what's going on here? And it ended up not being, but that was a huge doorway for me of like just being invited to think about that. Mm. And there would have been no way to uh, approach that context the way my brain was wired at the time. And But then to also find this middle ground of like, oh yeah, I'm not, my gender isn't the issue. (laughs) My fluid sexuality is, right? And so that that was like, I, I can't, like calling it a skill is a weird thing to call it, but like, Oh, yeah. Like, I also was in the process of figuring out. So, spoiler, spoiler alert to the audience uh, I am trans. And I was in the process of running the masks game that Jason was in while figuring out that I was trans. And yeah, playing female NPCs. I never really had the guts to play a woman as a character for the same reason that, like, I was super vigilant about not coming across as femme because I knew that there was something going on in here and I needed no one to figure that out before I was ready for it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's 
role-playing games are a wonderful way to figure things out about yourself. Like I not only I in a game I didn't even play in, Hexbreakers is the game that Riley ran. Yeah. Is the game that or no, that wasn't no, sorry, Riley didn't run that one. That was um no, she was in it. Emily um, Emily ran, Emily that, ran one. that one. Yeah. Sorry. My, my apologies. The game that Emily ran was the thing that got that kicked me in the butt to finally figure out what my name was. So like not games you're not even in can help you figure out things about yourself. It's really fantastic. Yeah. Some of that, like I knew some of that ahead ahead of time before like I I'm going to use this show as sort of my watershed moment, but this show and playing on it and talking to people offline is how I realized the neurodivergence that explained like a lot about my life mm. once when someone i had a similar situation someone was like hey have you ever thought that maybe xyz and i was like mm. and then we talked some more and i was like oh 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 i i see <laughs> yeah i i remember going down the list of like some of the neurodivergent descriptions like but not all of these apply to me right and they're like uh, welcome yeah <laughs> The fact that you had to point out, yeah, the three yeah. Oh, like don't. number thirteen and number seventeen don't apply, so this probably doesn't fit. Like, okay, bud. the most the most neurodivergent thing is pointing, trying to find problems with the test yeah. on whether you're neurodivergent or yeah. not. Yeah. Oh, the truth. Okay, Nick, do you want to take number four? Absolutely, I'll start up here. Number four, creativity. I'm currently studying for a master's in creative learning, and it is mostly about why creativity is such a strong force in both learning, other subjects, and itself. While there are many ways to bring creativity into classrooms, I have never found a better space for teenagers to be creative and learn to be even more creative in collaboration with others than our game club. If they're able to bring just a small fraction of that creativity with them into more ordinary school activities and later in life, they're on a very good path indeed. Mm. I certainly feel like that like that is true. There's stuff that has happened in games or in research that I've done for games that I have used in my regular life that sometimes I just repeat in my head as I do them, like accelerate out of a turn. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> but also just being able to like look at things and see them in a different way, like using things that aren't necessarily the right thing for a purpose, but that will work for what I want to do. Yeah. And I think that games have certainly taught me to look at outside the box that way. Yeah. I'll flip it around and and say, like, with my ADHD, and I've always struggled with writing, but I am constantly overflowing with ideas. Like, I, in an email I sent in that hasn't made it onto the podcast yet, I refer to my ADHD as, whereas the doctors say, my head is full of bees. Killer bees! And, <laughs> yep. And so I will get in these just kind of like not not quite like diagnosable manic things, but I will just kind of get in this creative cycle where I'm coming up with ideas, much like happened with Evangelion and Mecca. I just have these ideas stuck in my head and I role playing games are the best outlet for that for me. It is something that lets me take all of these ideas and in my opinion like i could write something or make a video or do all of these things to kind of put ideas out to a passive audience 
but by being able to filter them through role-playing games, I am able to like tailor make them for my audience. And not only that, but get active feedback as I go and kind of make these ideas into the best versions of themselves. The things that are most just precision designed for the people at the table in really wonderful ways. Because I could write a comic book or I could come up with a script for an animated series or or try to act in a film, but I can instead create these things for, I can create an even better product, but for a much smaller audience and then just have these um, incredible memories to take with me. I find that uh, incredibly rewarding and incredibly satisfying as a creative outlet. Yeah. For those of you listening, Jason and I are nodding in agreement through much of this. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't translate very well. In the I can't media. say it any better uh, than assume that. Assume any time I'm talking, they're both doing that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I make it a habit to not disagree with Rose because right. I fucking know better. Absolutely. It was a hard-learned lesson during the lockdown in our masks campaign. <laughs> that was great fun. All right. So how do we do it? There is a Danish saying that translates roughly to, isn't magic just dexterity? Meaning that it might look like magic, but it is just a matter of training. Therefore, here are some of my tricks of the trade. One, trust the force, or more precisely, trust the teens. Have the strength to give responsibility and freedom to the kids, not all at once or at all times, unless you want to create a Lord of the Flies social experiment (laughs) in a way, but in well-measured and increasingly larger portions. Teach them how to teach others how to play both TTRPGs and board games. Involve them in planning and some of the boring logistics. Support and guide those who would like to run games. How to do that, you might ask. Currently, there are three TTRPG campaigns running in the same club, all run by teenagers in the role of game masters. I help with their session zero, give guidance on things small and large, and have a character in every party so that I can sit in and play along with all the groups when there is need or time. Two. Focus on fun, not winning. To touch Mm -hmm. on what we uh, talked about earlier. Talk about the noble art of enjoying failures. Laugh at your own fails and mistakes. Make sure that when the teens eventually fail a critical role in a TTRPG, that one, they're reminded that it is the character that failed, not the player. And two, that that there is put a great spin on the situation so that it's turned into something fun that can be embraced as a great gaming story. I also, I've, I've like streamlined this process a little bit by, I just don't make mistakes. <laughs> so like, <laughs> it's kind of a, it's a little bit of a trick to learn. Right. But I've, I've gotten pretty good at that. So yeah, yeah. Once you get perfection, I mean, the rest yeah. just falls into place. Yeah. So I would recommend just do it right. And <laughs> there's, there's no issue really. End of podcast. All right. <laughs> well, good night, everyone. Thank you for joining us for <laughs> episode. Uh, rules are okay. Fun is king. Mm. I have never let rules in a TTRPG stand in the way of fun. Making games more accessible by not using all the rules or even changing them for something is a bit more simple is core. I'm sorry, or even changing them for something a bit more simple is a core advice to all that plays TTRPGs with kids and teens. I often compare it with a schoolyard soccer where it is possible to have fun playing soccer without following anything but the most core concept of the game and rules. I mean, there probably isn't the correct number of players, and the field is most likely way too small, the goal's not the size, etc. And when the teens gain some experience and start reading the rules, it is a great time to talk to them about how and why you have changed some rules, 
and foster some critical thinking on their behalf on which rules they think should be used, changed, or dumped. Yeah. I mean, way to just like put a trumpet up to the side of my brain. <laughs> like everything I want to say about managing the rules in play is there. I'm unapologetically a, a modifier of rules. Like yeah. famously so. Yeah. I, that's, even your own race. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I like, I think it's the right thing to do to mod any system to fit the moment or fit your group. Right. right. Like, I think it's a crime to play, like, to rigidly play rules as written in the face of a need. Right. Like, when something isn't working. Right. Uh, that is true. I will also flip it around and say that for certain people with certain psychological profiles, having the rules be as they are be as be played as written is how they have their fun so yes and, I, but I you have to that, communicate that's what i mean it's like if yes. you're going to change something everyone has to be on board if and they yes. have to know why and they have to know when and, and not be willy-nilly and just, yes absolutely agree with and that. i know that because we like to get rid of attack rules and because <laughs> we have dyed hair and pronouns people think that we're hippie <laughs> gamers i think it's important that we do recognize that sometimes rules is written crunchy games are how some people like to have their fun and that's okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. As long as everyone at the table is happy doing that, you, you just but but that's another skill of learning to mediate and diplomatize, I think is the word I wanted to be able to have that conversation of like, hey, we're doing it this way, what if next time we tried it that way, you know, like be just that's that's a useful skill to be able to say. But like there are so many things to be aware of. If you're going to change something, it requires a level of skill. You know, like we were playing D&D and Theater of the Mind. And we're like, oh, yeah, we don't need maps. Like all of us were used to other types of games. Like, yeah, let's not worry about maps and minis and whatever. And I decided to play a monk. But like half of my kit is I go fast. Right. You know, like I can cover more ground. Right. Like can... how far away are they? Oh, don't worry about it. Like it matters. <laughs> like I need mm -hmm. to make a different character. So, yeah. Uh, sorry about the long mail. It is a subject which I love to talk about, and I could go on for hours and pages. I will stop now and hope that these few thoughts and insights might inspire others to take up gaming with younglings. Oh, please never apologize for that. Right. No, as, yeah, we hate talking about this sort of a topic <laughs> uh, for hours and hours on end. That's, that's why we spend our Friday nights driving into the studio. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was a rough commute for me this, you know, this week. <laughs> hey, Gotta be honest. Just beamed in here, really difficult. But I make that sacrifice for you, the viewers. Yeah, well, just for you. I'm just amazed that the quality from the satellite is so good. Yeah, Audio. actually, it is really fun just that we have this level of... Have we mentioned that this is the first live podcast from the International Space Station? <laughs> no, we, we probably should have. We probably should have. Yeah. Uh, I think we had the lead there. Yeah. Mm, that's fair. That's fair. We, after all, we are very humble here at Happy Jacks. <laughs> I'm the most humble. Excuse mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, yes. Best regards, Spillmeister Thomas from Denmark. P.S. Skull. Skull. We don't have drinks, so pretend if you're listening to this that we just had something. P.P.S. Yes, the old P.P. joke. Yep. And PPPS, never let the teenagers hear the PP joke. They don't know what a PPS is, but will find it very funny that you said PP again. <laughs> yes, it's true. I have to say, my eighth grade elective is all about like space exploration projects mm -hmm. and stuff. 
And we were, they all got to, there, there happened to be exactly eight of them this semester. And so they all picked a planet from our solar system. They picked, well, let's see, they didn't pick Earth. I, I forget what they, there was another option they had to pick. But Uranus was on the list and they went with it. And I, I put it up on the board. I said, look, I understand. <laughs> Can we, let's just get it all out of the way now. And we'll, we'll get through it, right? Yeah. And they did for the most part, except for the funniest moment in my 18 years of teaching. This is a little bit of a blue story, but... On so young viewers yeah. cover your ears. <laughs> One of my eighth graders, who the boy who got Uranus to do a report on, was like, okay, time to do... I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not normally affected by this, you know, shaft and taint and yeah. all that stuff, but, but, but it was just too much of... <laughs> The boy who got Uranus. <laughs> yeah, the boy who's going to do a report on Uranus was, uh, and we also discussed Sample like a scar. Yeah, we also <laughs> talked about like Uranus is not better, right? It just sounds like urine. I came up with Uranus, which actually technically is is the correct pronunciation. Oh, okay. But well, nobody says it that way, and I'd be right. looked at weird if I tried. But this boy was like, "Okay, time to start my research," and I just hear this. Oh, oh God. From the back oh, of the no. room, he typed in Y-O-U-R. No. A-N-U-S. <laughs> no. And guess what showed up on his perfectly legitimate Google search? A sea of stars. <laughs> yes. Homer Simpson fading into a bush dot gif. <laughs> I have not laughed so hard. I lost my composure a little bit. I, I was very amused. He was grossed out and like was trying to close the tab without looking at it. Because <laughs> nobody wants to see a bunch of butts you didn't go looking for. See, you know? that's like, why you learn shortcuts. Control W. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, we were all laughing. And he was... The kind of kid, like, I knew it was okay that we were laughing because he could hold up to that and was laughing as well, but also dying, <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> there was also a split second where he was like, oh, God. And I was like, what's wrong? He's like, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> like, trying to get out of this moment somehow, <laughs> screaming, nothing is wrong. <laughs> I, I'm gonna have to use someone someone screaming nothing is wrong in a game someday. Sorry. Absolutely. Sorry. That was one of the most memorable gaming moments of my year. Okay, um, Jason, I gotta know. How many times did you tell the story before you settled on a sea of stars as what he found? Oh, that's the first time I've said it that way. Oh my oh, god. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty happy with it, actually. Perfect. No, no. I, I hate to admit this. I think Jason's funnier than I am. Just right off the top. I was pretty happy with that. Rose, everyone Ooh. knows I'm the funny one. Oh, that's, that's true. I'm the hot <laughs> one now. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> no, no one calls me that. God. So, anyway, Uranus. Indeed. Rose, Indeed. do you want to read Mailbag 2? You could say he was a bit starstruck. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got email too. It's, it's from Burke. Woo. This is uh we are serious very adults mature. Here. 
Yep. I was actually like listening to this email. I was like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm like gonna share this episode because it's gonna be really useful for like people to learn about running programs for for kids. And I'm still gonna do that. But clip it. But I'm gonna have some caveats on who I send it to. (laughs) I ruined it. (laughs) No, you improved it, but you did narrow the the audience a bit. (laughs) Okay, here we go. And scene. All right. Greetings, Empress Kimmy and her jacker court. In my home game recently, my players uh, decided on a course of action that made no sense to the fiction of the world. So I had some NPC try to explain how their idea wouldn't work. But instead of understanding that, they doubled down even more convinced of their choice. Now, I understand this was partially my fault. I purposefully made uh, this problem hard. This campaign is almost over, and I wanted this to be a big moral choice. So I think they felt backed into a corner and this was the idea they grabbed onto and wouldn't think outside the box. I didn't give a lot of details in this because the details don't really matter. My question is, at what point do you just let dumb ideas work? Even when they don't make sense. Even when the whole campaign is telling you it won't work. My personal belief is that it depends on the campaign. If I am playing a Gonzo game, my answer is always yes. But in a 30-plus session campaign about killing the warlock Dracula in service of, to freaking Cthulhu, am I still supposed to say yes? Mm. Verk from DC. Mm. That's a good uh, question. P.S. Drink. P.S.S. Which is not how that works. Uh, what was the dumbest idea your players ever came up with that you let happen? We'll come to that later. Mm. Okay. So, God, 30 sessions of campaign to come around to a ridiculous way to kill Warlock Dracula serving Cthulhu. I would talk to the players and explain that it's kind of a ridiculous thing that kind of breaks the fiction. Yeah. Um, Is the group, like, do you have X card as part of the uh, table? Or script Um, change. Yeah, but X card is kind of the most common thing that people might have, and so I don't know Burke's table, but I do know Verk, and I know Verk uses X card. Like it's familiar with safety tools, but sometimes all of us have been in a situation with our friends where you're like, ah, we don't need safety tools. They're like, okay, I'm just gonna say stuff then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so to understand. I'm trying to make sure I totally understand the question here. So um, basically, they came up with a way, like their plan to beat Warlock Dracula, who serves Cthulhu. Which, to be fair. Already sounds like a little bit of a ridiculous premise, but I'll go with it. We'll say this is a serious campaign for the sake of argument. They came up with a ridiculous solution for that, and he tried to warn them off of this course of action by talking to them in character about okay, it. Okay, okay. Like having an NPC say, hey, that won't work, and then they doubled down. Save so the torpedoes full speed ahead. Kind what of if thing. we just got a bigger air fryer? Sure. So, okay. So I, I think this is where. I might, so I empathize with the problem in the sense that I tell my players, I will never lie to you, but the NPCs might. Mm. Right? Oh, so that wouldn't work for you. Right. And in which case, I would go to the X card situation of like, gang, this is not in tone. What would, we've been playing this dark and gritty game this whole time, and you all wanting to drop a dump truck on him isn't working for me. Like, I, I tried to give it to you in character, but I need to just hit pause and tell y'all, like, that ain't it, right? Like, that's wild. And you got to come up with something else. Like, 
please, please come up with something else is another way to say that. That I would be like, if you want to make that the end of this 30 session arc, okay, but is that how you want to end this? Like, is there any other, anything else we could do? I'm begging yeah. you. <laughs> it's your GM. Yeah. That's the trouble I have with D&D because D&D doesn't have an established tone as part of anything, really. Because even, like, even Strahd has ended up as a Scooby-Doo episode more than once. Sure. In fact, I would say ends up as a Scooby-Doo episode more often than not. Yeah. So I specifically recognize that as a challenge because, yeah, D&D, even, like, if you're trying to play it seriously, sometimes mechanically gets a little bit slapstick. Yeah, like when you had someone get like get old person on them and then just died, a very uh, I am no mere hedge mage yeah. scenario. So that is difficult. It's a difficult thing where you could go kind of two different ways with this. You could either take the action to protect the tone of your game, which as a GM is entirely within your prerogative to do so. Like you can say, hey, I know you guys want to do this, but it kind of breaks what I've been trying to make happen with this campaign, which is totally fair. Or you can just say, fuck it, we ball and let them drop the dump truck on top of Dracula. Like I will say dropping the dump truck on top of Dracula will probably be a story they tell more often than uh. the the gritty, serious conclusion you had in mind. But also like, it's imp- like it is important that you recognize that as a GM, you are also a player. You also put a lot of work into running this campaign and having some being able to speak up for what you desire out of your game is also important. Yeah. So it really depends on like, so, oh, like, what would you allow from your players? It'd be like, well, it depends what I wanted out of this game. Like, if at the end of our masks campaign, y'all decided to get real silly with it. I probably would have vetoed that. I would be like, Hey, we've spent a year in lockdown with these characters. We've developed real world friendships and relationships through this game. I don't want to undercut that with getting silly. I mean, I'm not Um, friends with anyone from that game, but just (laughs) not not at all. Not at all. (laughs) It's not like we're occasionally on a podcast together or anything. (laughs) No, uh, you, you don't know what Kimmy and I had to do to get the two of them on the, <laughs> the negotiations that happen backstage. Modifications to my rider are extensive. <laughs> here, the, here, the bonus here. you made off of this just yeah. to work with me. I now am thinking of Jason as like Hulk Hogan backstage politicking. Yeah. <laughs> like that doesn't work for me, brother. Yeah. Pretty accurate. That's what I'm like in general. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, it really comes down to what you wanted out of this campaign and how you think your players are going to react to it. Like, I think I'm always a little bit cautious of like D&D groups if that's kind of like the main system people have experience with. I find that the general approach to D&D is a less collaborative thing from players and they find meddling with their choices kind of blasphemous because in D&D the only thing you have true sovereignty over is your actions as a character mm-hmm. you don't get that storyline control you don't get to narrate your scenes really as a part of the mechanics 
So having the GM and say, hey, the thing you decided on as characters doesn't fly can rankle people. So that's something to be cautious of. But if they're people who have played other systems and are used to sharing narrative and are familiar with things like having an established tone for a campaign and like working within that, I think you could come to them. And I mean, if nothing else, you could just say, hey, this is a problem I'm having. Yeah. And how I'm feeling about it and kind of go from there. Yeah. And And you can even like break the fourth wall a little bit and be like, look, I tried to express it through the NPC telling you this. And then it just turned up to 11. Like, I don't know how to tell you guys this. Like, this is super weird for me and I can't wrap my head around it. Like, yeah, I I like the way you said that. That's really good. Thank you. As we've established, I am always right. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if it would, if it would help, but I, part of me is thinking, would it be helpful to say something like, okay, would Dirk Johnson, bare knuckled private eye, really think that the solution to this Dracula Cthulhu problem is a giant air fryer and breading and a banana cream pie? Like, that just doesn't make sense for the fiction of the character. Yeah, maybe bring it back to the specific characters. Right. Yeah. Like, I I think that that might help and kind of ground it in whatever whatever reality you've established, ground it back in those characters. Yeah. That it doesn't make sense that it would suddenly go from true detective to Scooby-Doo yeah. in the face of essentially one episode is what this sounds like. Yeah. For me, though, that still runs the risk of like them saying, yep, I've decided that's what he would do. Because the real issue is like Burke's feeling about the end of the game and like wanting it to be fun for him too. And so that's, to me, the only out I can see there is the unfortunate grown-up conversation of no <laughs> yeah of, I don't of like wanna. this is gonna be not fun for me. Is there any can we negotiate on this? You know, like I tried it with the NPC, it didn't hit. This is not how I met like I don't understand what's happening here. How did we get to this point? Like I, I want to have a like a really cool ending and this seems wild. So how did we get here? Like, help me connect the dots. And maybe the group can explain their logic better. And they think they have to not explain it to him because he'll cheat or something. Like, I, I know Burke and I know he, he wouldn't. But if they're, right. if they're thinking this is, we have to beat the DM at his own game and something like that, then that's complicated. That's really hard to fit into a conversation. Yeah. Not to fully psychoanalyze the players on this, but he mentioned that he was trying to make a big moral conundrum for them and kind of mm. like, he, and he mentioned possibly them feeling backed into a corner. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, mm. That is another big thing. It's, it kind of makes me think of there's a fantastic meme going around right now, which is Ponytail Guy, which is like, would you rather have economic stability or like, or like trans rights. And he's like, both, both. <laughs> like I, I like, he's like, you can't choose both. And he's like, then I reject the question. You can't reject the question. He's like, too bad. Yeah. Um, which is just like absolute, like hero behavior. Love that guy. Yeah. One of my favorite people on the internet right now. And it's just like, yeah, when you give the players, like, especially moral conundrums and like, like hard choices like that, 
sometimes you got to be prepared for when they go, I don't want to make that choice. I'm going to go for the third option. And sometimes the third option is the air fryer to defeat Dracula. And if you have, like, if you've wrapped that moral conundrum a bit too tight, like player comfortability can break and they will go for something that breaks the fiction in order to not choose one of those objectionable mm. outcomes. Yeah. That's that's um, a really good point. Yeah. And we've established this many a time that we can't answer every email with have an adult conversation because we wouldn't <laughs> right. have a show anymore. <laughs> right. Well, and, like, and that's down. a really good way to put that, though. Uh, like, if they really do feel backed into a corner, then maybe they felt like we, yeah, like that both option wasn't there. And that's a really good way. To, I'm sitting here thinking like, oh, man, these players just ruined the GM's day. Right. I'm like, oh, right. I have been in the opposite situation where the GM let us wander off in the wrong distance for like four or five game sessions Ugh. of going yeah. in the wrong direction because we didn't figure out the one right solution to his fucking riddle. And like yeah. the riddle he wrote, right? Like, yeah, like I was not super into that story at that point when he was like, ha, 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 you idiots, you did it all wrong. I'm like, cool. See you next week. Yeah. Yep. I'm going to float a solution here, though, that I think bridges all of the issues that we brought up. It's Virk's fault. Oh, <laughs> huh. Yeah, no. Honestly, I like I, I'm starting to come around to that. I think you might be right. <laughs> we love, love you, buddy. Bert. We love you. Uh, this just reminds me of the Alice's Missing game that Burke and I played in, where we played like former best friends and like oh. absolutely tore into each other. It was glorious. It's how <laughs> I sell the game to other people. I was like, here, here's a screenshot of a conversation I had in character. We were monsters to each other. That's fantastic. <laughs> Verk is really yeah. good. A great. Player. Oh, I yeah. adore Verk. Uh, Vercon was like a highlight of my year, and I'm hoping to like put on my own little rose con of online games. Hopefully in 2024. Awesome. Yeah, and hopefully we'll see all of each other at uh, game days coming yeah, up. Yeah. Yes. So the last part of that, what was the dumbest idea that your players ever came up with that you let happen? Can I tell my 12 year old? Shadowrun story? Sure. Like yes. when I was 12 and mm -hmm. we were playing Shadowrun, they threw a bag of grenades at the base of the Space Needle. I forget why tipping it over was a good idea. <laughs> like stop a getaway car or something. Yeah, but like... If I they, think you said 12 in Shadowrun, so we already know why yeah, it was a good idea. But knocking the Space Needle over was going to solve their problem. I think maybe it was like a secret antenna for something. Okay. You know, like whatever. This sounds a lot like Jason from The Good Place, which is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I threw a Molotov cocktail because <laughs> after I found a Molotov cocktail, I have different problems. I yeah. have a new problem. Yeah. But the, it was like, yeah, I'm going to pull the pin on one of these, put all the grenades in it. Okay, everybody give me your grenades. There were enough. <laughs> right. They're Shadowrun players. Right. And just. Hucked this bag of grenades at the base of one of the legs of Space Needle, the Space Needle. And it did so. I was like, I guess. Like, I didn't even roll the dice. Like, <laughs> okay. Yeah, you knocked over the Space Needle. It's like, no conversation about the like epic murder and 
like destruction that that would be. You were dealing with 12 year olds. That would only be an incentive. Right. Yeah. While also being 12. Right. And I was not totally off the idea. So yeah, <laughs> that's probably the wildest outcome. And then on the other side, one time a GM allowed me to be a boy robot where everyone thought I was a real boy. <laughs> um, and that went on for half the, the campaign. That was amazing, though. It really was. When we finally got the reveal, we were all astounded and envious. And like, I remember our conversation after it was like, was saying to Dave, like, what if we all wanted to do that? And he would have been, I'd run it. Yeah. <laughs> You're all real boys. Yeah. That was one of the most fun gaming experiences I've ever had, but also wild. Absolutely fucking wild that Dave ran with that. So. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it, it, that was a great reveal. Rose? I, I'll, I'll have two. One was back in my 4E D&D days. I let a player throw... Uh, we had a Minotaur fighter throw our Dragonborn Artificer off of a building in what we called a flying dragon hammer move, which is just yeet the Dragonborn, and they try to land hammer first on somebody else, and they manage to not die. Just quite impressive. Wow. Yeah, it was really good. It was really good. I I think that was an early manifestation of my appreciation for combo moves. Sure, uh, right? I think yeah. every RPG is improved by having those. And then I think it's been mentioned on the podcast before, but I only really have one campaign I'm especially proud about, and that is the Masks campaign that Jason was in. And one of our players, Jim, came to me and said, hey, I have this older mentor figure. Can he be my character from the future? And I went, absolutely. Yeah, that, <laughs> that was so great. It was such a perfect like fit for the tone of the game and also one of the best ideas I've ever heard yeah. from a player. I was like, yeah, yes, a thousand times yes. That is awesome. Yeah, that was a lot of fun too. I didn't like do a full like big reveal of that like in character, but uh, eventually I was just like, I got to tell you guys, this is just too much fun. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. How about you, Nick? Don't say you, Nick. <laughs> I would say honestly, I don't have a lot of experiences that I can think of where I was the GM and uh, something wild was presented to me. The thing that I most remember was being completely surprised at. Jason in the Pembroke game when the cultists were bringing down the syringe of unknown liquid onto the uh, wolver who was trapped there. And <laughs> you said, I'm going to get in the way of the needle. And I was like, what? <laughs> I remember now. <laughs> and, and it plunged into, uh, into your character and I had to deal with that. And I thought it was a great way to deal with the situation, I guess. And it threw me for a loop. I had to spend the next week going, all right, well, how's this going to work <laughs> since I don't have my ending anymore? I don't know why um, I didn't like slap them out of the way or something. I like stopped the needle. Yeah. Look, I, you chose the, the more interesting <laughs> option. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, I would say, like, that's the thing I think of. But it wasn't necessarily that I let you get away with anything. Right. It was just a outside the box solution for this problem. As shenanigans on my side, I would say that this was a Ravenloft game, so this might give you some idea of where the tone went. But 
I had a character who was an artificer who used shape water in order to create holy bombs that I put blasting powder in. So they were like ice. I froze the holy water into ice with a space on top for the powder to go into. So we could light them and chuck them into the zombies and then it would explode out for all this holy damage on all of them. (laughs) Kill them. Incredible. And the other part of that was to clear the way so that we could get to the catapult that was flinging zombies into the city that we were defending that was under siege. And after killing all of the things that were in the way and making sure they didn't, that, that they couldn't use it again, I got us all up into the basket and I cast grease on the catapult, launched it and cast bonfire on it. So it flung us into the back towards the city, which we knew was going to land in the middle of the city because zombies had been and burned it behind us. And then I cast Featherfall on everyone. So we just floated gently down back into the into the ground. So that, that was sort of my... That's a lot of spells. It you was a lot. Sure you got the spell lot. slots for that. Because if you get into the it. air and you forget, you don't have a first level <laughs> spell slot left. I think that it was a, like I had a spell tattoo that was, you know, uh, I burned all my other spells yeah, and that yeah. was it. That's great though. But I yeah, that. it was, it was super fun. <laughs> but just, just a put- wizard standing out in the battlefield. Counter spell. <laughs> It would have been good. There was an undead beholder that uh, the uh, that the rest of the party was dealing with while we went out on this sortie. Oh wow! On there, so yeah, it could have been. What did they just disasters. load up like a dozen zombies and fling them in? Huh? What? How did it work before you got there? They would just put like a mess of zombies in there and fling them into the city. It was so they flung the undead beholder in there and they flung like some ogre zombies. Oh. So it was like individuals. But my thought was. They're just going to keep doing this. So <clears throat> taking care of the ones in here isn't going to do it. We have to take out the source. Right. And that meant getting past the horde that was sieging the town. Yeah. Hence the holy, you know, hand holy grenades. water bombs. Yes. The holy, the holy hand grenades. Holy hand grenades. And Good. going out on this thing, which <clears throat> the, the game master, Jameson, who's been on a couple of shows yeah. here, was sort of astounded that that was the, <laughs> the course of action we wanted to take. So for him, that was the... I guess I'll let them get away with it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> Look, if your players start developing new weapons in the course of a game, you just got to let that play out. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I think also an, another great example in the Yuma game with Bill uh, running Traveler, my character wound up with this like backsuit skill of four or something, which is just ridiculous. Like, you can't do anything with that skill, right? It's right. just stupid. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, after a little He's bit of the most dangerous man in the world in a vaccine. Right. I finally <laughs> came back to him. I was like, Bill, what if my character is a vaccine prodigy and is like inventing like basically the Iron Man, like not that it would be yes. as cool as Tony Stark, but like, right. Power it's, armor. He's the Mozart of power armor. You know, like he just, <laughs> he could just make one, you know? And so he came up with this whole system. Like every week I rolled to see how much advancement I made on the project. And everyone kind of figured out that I was working on something really weird. And the character wasn't like a tech whiz. It was just backsuit that he understood better than anything and anyone. So that was fun. Okay. Well, I advise or I, I encourage everyone who is out there watching and listening to write in and tell us your most 
gonzo tale that you either permitted or perpetrated on, uh, <laughs> perpetrated, on your right. game master. Because uh, we'd love to hear those stories. Obviously, you know, we like to talk about this stuff and we'd love to hear yours too. I want to thank you all for joining us for season 33, episode four of the Happy Jacks RPG show. Please support our amazing indie designer of the month, Kurt Potts. Again, that's Kurt Potts with two T's, K-U-R-T-P-O-T-T-S dot itch dot I-O. And go ahead and pick up the game, which I have on this first page, but don't have in front of me because I am very, very good at this situation, which is... Is uh, what's, what's so cool a- about the uplift? Thank you, Rose. Yeah, which I have it on this paper. So when I said that I am going to download it, I really do. I took notes on the back about some of the stuff Rose talked about. So I'm not a hypocrite here. I just have poor planning skills. So please check out check out his games, all the other games that he has up there as well. I want to thank our chat mod, James V, and our other amazing patrons who keep us free and independent for ads, ad-free specifically. Because we're not free otherwise. You don't see the chains, <laughs> and we're very good at, at uh, filtering out the clinking that happens here. I've Those been free our schedules, unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> I have been in solitary for a long time. That's why I haven't been on the show, but I finally got to, <laughs> I earned my errors this today. <laughs> so, yes, happyjacks.org slash Patreon if you want to go ahead and keep us ad free and independent. Once again, I'm Nick. I'm Jason. And I'm Rose. And if I can figure out how to do it, I'm going to leave you with a song. The Child Is This. Uh, that is by the Mary Sues. So here we go to Patreon Thanks and hope that all works. Bye. Bye. What child is this who lays to rest in a Thank you.
This show is a product of the Happy Jacks RPG Network. The Mary Sue's performed our intro music, and our ending song was played with the express permission of the artist. Visit happyjacks.org for more information and to find all our streams and podcasts. Mm-hmm.